Sunday is the day of Pentecost. In the Christian church, the day of Pentecost occurred 50 days after Easter. In the Jewish tradition, Pentecost occurred 50 days after Passover. For the Jews, Pentecost celebrated the sealing of the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai. For us, Pentecost celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 recounts the story of the original Christian Pentecost Sunday. Jews from every nation under heaven were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Pentecost. It was ten days after the ascension of Jesus, and Mary and the apostles were gathered in the upper room. And then suddenly a rush of violent wind came through the house, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, which gave them the ability to speak in tongues. Christ had promised that he would send them the Holy Spirit. In fact, in John 16, 4-15, he states, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father. And you will see me no longer about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what Jesus is basically telling them that he's going away, the disciples are saddened by this. They don't fully understand why, and they won't really understand until after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Jesus tries to help them understand that it is to their advantage that Jesus is leaving. In verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How great would it be if Jesus was here with us today? Could you imagine if Jesus was physically here? Wouldn't that be great? How awesome would that be? But it is not to our advantage as Jesus states in John 16, 7. The disciples did not understand it that it wasn't to their advantage. And I think it would be difficult for us to imagine why it would not be to our advantage if Jesus was physically with us today. If we could choose having Jesus here for just one day or having the Spirit of God inside us every single day, what would you choose? Jesus in his human form was only available to a small number of people. He was limited by human limitations. The Holy Spirit has no such limitations. So while having Jesus physically with us would be amazing, the ministry potential of the Spirit of God in all of us is greater than if he was still on earth today to lead that ministry. Every one of you is filled with that same Spirit of God. Jesus is continuing his message, not through his physical body, but through the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Let's explore these three concepts. First is sin. A lot of us don't like to talk about sin. 
Talking about sin is uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about our own sin because we must admit that we are at fault. It makes us vulnerable. We may be embarrassed by our sin and we just don't want to face that sin. We don't want to talk about another person's sin because we might feel like we are being judgmental. But why is it important to not sweep sin under the rug? When the Jews crucified Jesus, they did not believe that they were sinning. They believed what they were doing was in service to God. But they later realized that the crucifixion was a horrible crime. What caused them later to have this realization? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. None of us want to sin. We all realize that we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us not sin, but we all end up sinning again. How do we overcome this power of sin? First, we need to name the sin. We need to be honest with God that we have sinned and tell God exactly what that sin is and confess it to him. Pray to God about that sin. Tell him that our sin is hurting us and others. Take David's example in Psalm 32, 5, where he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We can't hide our sins from God, so there's no use pretending that we can. Second, we need to decide to act against the sin. Repentance means the movement of the will away from sin and toward God. In Ephesians 4.23, Paul says, You literally become renewed in the spirit of your mind. When you do this, new patterns of thought, feelings, and behaviors become part of your daily life. Lastly, and this is the most vital, don't do it alone. We are not strong enough. We do not have the power to overcome sin by ourselves. We may be able to identify the sin and decide to change, but to change we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3, 11, 21 says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints that is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We need to be rooted and grounded in God's love. We need to give ourselves to understanding the fullness of that love. It is God's love that becomes the power it is God's love that gave us the Holy Spirit. To the degree that you believe that conquering sin relies on you, you will fail. To the degree that we give ourselves over to the dependence on God's love, we will succeed. Sin is only defeated when we move from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Next, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to convince us about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? Well, Jesus is saying that the Spirit proves Christ's righteousness because Jesus would ascend to the Father and be seen no more. If there was not sufficient righteousness of Jesus, then God would have kept him on earth until the time when that righteousness would have been fulfilled. That explanation is deep and difficult idea to wrap my head around. Jesus is righteous because he is gone and the Holy Spirit is now here. 
But I do not think it is difficult to understand that Jesus is, in fact, righteous regardless of the reasons. Righteousness means that the quality of being morally right or justifiable. When I looked up righteousness on the Internet, it was used in a sentence, and it said we had little doubt about the righteousness of our cause. Well, what was Jesus' cause? He sacrificed himself so that our sins may be forgiven, so that we may have eternal life. I don't know about you, but that is a pretty righteous cause. Whether the Holy Spirit is needed to convince me of that or not, I am not sure I can really tell you, but I am convinced. Lastly, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to convince us of judgment. Romans 14.10-13 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of you will be accountable to God. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. So what is Paul telling us in Romans? First, do not pass judgment on your brother or sister and do not despise them. So does this mean that if you see them doing something wrong, you should just let them continue to do it? No, but the judgment should not be done with condemnation. In Galatians, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. We know that we must make judgments about good and bad all the time, but there is a way to do it without being judgmental. Second, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. We have been taught that we are saved by the grace of God, but this seems to contradict it. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. It says that we just have to believe. What Paul is saying here is that if you judged and despised your brothers and sisters, then this indicates more about your characters and beliefs than that of your brothers and sisters. When your life extends the forgiving grace of God in Christ to others, you are the recipient of that forgiving grace of God. The merciful will receive mercy in the judgment, not because mercy earns mercy, but because treating others with mercy of Christ shows you have already received and trusted the mercy of Christ. But if you judge with no affection, or if you despise with no affection, if you are not driven by mercy and desire to forgive, then you have not confirmed your true faith in Christ. Lastly, Paul says to love. He doesn't use that word, but he says never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. This is done through love. Simply love your brother and your sister. Do not judge them. So how has the Holy Spirit worked in your life? Has it been a constant present? or Was there one event that brought the power of Holy Spirit in your life? John 15, 26, 7 says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You are also to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. He is saying that the Holy Spirit will testify on behalf of Jesus. We are also to testify. So today I ask that you give your testimony of how the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. In future episodes of this podcast, 
I will be sharing my thoughts, my testimonies, testimonies of others about how God has worked in my life and in the lives of others. I hope that you will join me as we continue our talks with God.